Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. How's it going? You know, when you're married to a real comedian, um, Bethany just gets me laughing right before we have to do something serious. She's up here cracking jokes, cool as a cucumber. And I'm coming up here nervous. Nervous Nelly is my personality <laughs> on Sunday. And uh, you might think, well, you've done this a thousand times, but I still get nervous because I'm me. How many of you know, it's, you know, you just you get nervous. And somebody who falls into saying things, putting their foot in their mouth, also being a pastor is a difficult uh, profession. So anyway, so good to be with you guys today. Exciting uh, to be in the presence of God, in the house of God. As we were singing that song uh, this morning about, even though I don't see it, you're working. I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me during first service. And I wanted to share this with you that I just believe that as we trust God and we honor God with our lives, we can walk in the peace of knowing that he he has everything under control and we get to trust him like a child trusts their parents. Bethany and I, with our three kids, we, we, we take care of all the major stuff, the mortgage, the, 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 I hope we're taking care of that. I think we are. And they don't have to worry about that. They can rest and trust in their parents and the provision that we, we have for them. And I was thinking about this with, with our heavenly father, that I'm the type of person that oftentimes puts kind of my own um, efforts and and I think, man, am I doing enough? Am I going to hit my goals? Am I going to hit, uh, get to where I need to go? Am I going to be a good enough pastor? Am I going to be a good enough businessman? Am I going to be a good enough whatever? Fill in the blank for yourself. And I just feel that the Lord wants us to know today that we can trust him, that we can rest in him. Amen. That if you're honoring him and walking with him, he is your father. He's your provider. And you can receive that today. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys, we're, we're uh, moving forward in our series, Little Big Things, talking about money and finances and how it might not seem like a big deal to us, but Jesus made a, a big deal about it. Why? Because it's, an, it's about worship. It's about trust. It's about the posture of our heart. And money is just one of uh, many things in life that are discipleship issues. And the question is this, are we going to put the entirety of our life under the Lordship of Jesus, which includes money? And so we're talking about reframing that and, and looking at money through a kingdom first lens of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to see God as my source and my provider? And how does that change how I look at things? As we jump in here today, I want to tell you a quick story. When I was a, a little whippersnapper, uh, my mom made me go to a, a daycare at our church, and the daycare was called Jump for Joy. And it didn't make me want to jump for joy. It made me want to run and scream. And I didn't want to go. And so I was one of those kids that would try to reason with their parents. Any of you have children like this? You know, I was like, here I am, little whippersnapper, three or four-year-old Jake. I think I know everything. And I'm like, mom, I don't want to go to daycare. And she said these words to me. And after 30 years of counseling and therapy, I've been able to recover and share them with you today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She said, Jake, you don't have to go. You get to go. <laughs> Anybody hear anything like that from your parents before? And at the time, I was incredibly offended. <laughs> I said, I don't want to go. You don't have to go. You get to go. As I've grown and hopefully matured at least a little bit, I've realized my mom was actually teaching me something really valuable, which is a concept called reframing. And she was teaching me how you can take a circumstance that is perhaps outside of your control. Maybe it's not what you want or what you desire, but you have the ability, though you can't control what happens to you in life, you know what you can control? How you respond. And how we frame things in, in our uh, mindset, how we frame things and how we receive something, uh, oftentimes dictates whether that's a good or a bad experience for us, right? 
And one of the things that we get to do as followers of Jesus is we're set free where we're not slaves of sin. Now we get to actually make decisions and choices. Am I going to be a victim or am I going to be victorious? And as the scripture says, more than a conqueror. But here I was as a little whippersnapper, didn't want to go to daycare. She says, you don't have to go. You get to go. As I've aged, I realized this. My mom was helping me to see that I get to decide to see the blessings in this type of a circumstance. And it reminds me of a, a passage of scripture uh, that the Apostle Paul, when he was talking to the church in Corinth, they were giving an offering to the Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering. And, and uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9. He gives us two really incredible principles that help us to reframe how we see ourselves and money and God and kind of this whole relationship. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek original language here, this word cheerful is the word hilarious or hilarious, and it means like, ha, like when I give, I'm just crazy about it. I'm cheerful. I'm excited. I'm, it's hilarious to me. Like I'm all about it. And Paul is actually telling us that we need to reframe our thinking about money. And this is going to set up all the questions that we answer today and the things that we talk about. There are two things we see in this passage. One is the law of sowing and reaping. I've never driven through Junction City or Harrisburg and seen a farmer out there planting seed, just crying, going, oh, no, my precious seed, it's gone. It's gone. I've lost it. It's gone. No, they're happy out there in their John Deere tractor chewing on <laughs> some grass, you know, whatever, listening to country. Is that what you guys do, the farmers? I don't know. It's just my imagination. It's just my imagination. Anyways, I've never seen a farmer crying when he puts the seed in the ground. In fact, he's happy because the abundance of the seed leads to the abundance of the what? The harvest. So Paul says, you don't have to sow, you get to sow, because if you understand the law of sowing and reaping, you're pretty happy to put the, the seed into the ground because you know there's a harvest on the other side, okay? So that's one. The second thing he says is that when you give, you got to give as you decide in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, it's not like I have to do this. I'm supposed to do this, so I have to do it. No, rather the posture of the heart that we're supposed to have that, we're, that, that is available to us is this place of cheerfulness or a hilarious giver. It's this new heart posture that says, I don't have to tithe. I don't have to give. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be uh, married to my spouse. I don't have to be a follower of Jesus. I get to. I get to be a Christian. I get to walk with God. I get to be a faithful husband and father to my children, not a husband to my children, husband to my wife and a father to my children. I get to be a, a generous person that allows God to bless me to be a blessing to others. I get to tithe. I get to give. It's a privilege to me because I understand sowing and reaping and because I have a new heart posture. This is my kingdom. When I put seed into the ground, into the field of the kingdom of God, into God's house and into the work of God across the world, when I give into those things, I don't look at it as loss. I look at it as gain because this is the, my kingdom that I'm a part of. Amen. So I don't have to, I get to. It's that reframing thing. Awesome. Well, we have um, quite a few questions from you guys. Good job, everybody. We didn't have to make up any fake questions, fake people, or anything like that. Perfect. Yes. And um, we just wanted to clarify with all of you guys, as we answer these questions, we're going to be using some wisdom principles. So principles we can glean from wisdom, right? And then we're going to have some things that are just biblical 
truths that we see. This is what the Bible says about that. And then some of the answers are going to be our opinions, which you guys are going to say, those are the ones we don't want. But the, you know, the Bible, it doesn't talk about every single specific in our life. It doesn't talk about um, checking accounts, right? And it doesn't talk about um, Roth IRAs or things like that. And so on some of these questions, we're going to, it'll be our own opinion and we're going to do our best to make sure that we clarify that for you guys. Like this is our opinion so that you guys know that. Did everyone understand? You all understand that? Okay, great. Okay. Question number one, I've gotten myself into a considerable amount of debt and I want to get out of it. I want to start tithing, but I feel like I should get out of debt and focus all my money on that first. Bethany, do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> Bethany, do you think that's a good idea? Or should I just tithe and trust God that he's going to take care of it? It doesn't say Bethany. Okay. Um, like we've kind of talked about the last couple of weeks, we've been mentioning this and that's where this also falls under this is that the idea in our Christian walk is that we're saying God is our source. He is the source of everything. So he is not only the source of your paycheck or your social security or whatever it is, the money that comes to, you, to your house. He's also the source of the very air that you breathe. Um, that's what the Bible says. The very air that we breathe is from the Lord. It's a gift from him. That life is a gift. He is our source. And so this idea, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, logically, I should get rid of all my debt and then I can move on. But the reason that we tithe 10% is because we are every month saying, God, you are my source. My job is not my source, though it seems like it when my paycheck comes in, right? Or however I get my money, that seems like that's my source, but that isn't actually my source. Underneath it all, my source is the Lord. He is the one who gives. He is the one who um, provides everything that I'm going to need in this life. So every month when we, at the beginning of the month, give our 10% back to the Lord, what we're saying is you gave me 100%. 100% of what I have is from you. And so I'm recognizing you and I'm prioritizing you and giving back to you this 10%. And so that's a difficult, we're not saying that that is, if you've never tithed, we're not saying that it's a very easy thing to do. No, it's our money, right? As we've talked about the last couple of weeks, money is directly tied to our hearts. It's, it's our, it's our uh, security. It's our identity for some people. It's all of these things. And so it is, it is an important thing. But when we will willingly, say, God, I recognize that you are my source. There's a great story in the Bible where Jesus, he owes taxes, which is just hilarious to think about. You know, Jesus, the savior of the world is like, you owe taxes. You know, like, that's great. Actually, I relate to that Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Right. But he owes taxes and the disciples come and they say, hey, you owe, you owe taxes. What are you going to do? And he's like, oh, go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Great. He's like, all right, I can get behind this. They go and they catch fish and there's inside the fish's mouth is the money for the disciples' taxes and Jesus's taxes. Like that's incredible. What, what is Jesus showing us? He's showing us that he's the source. He's the source. We don't have to worry about it. He's the source. And that's what we're doing when we say, hey, I'm going to tithe. So if, if this was me, for sure, I would tithe even if I'm in debt. And that's what we even did when we had debt. We still continued to tithe. And I told the story last week. I'll just really quickly share it. 
But last week I told the story about when we were in a lot of debt, I would pray and I would, I was praying two specific things um, that G- Jake would sell a song. He was a musician. So I was praying he would sell a song because I wanted God to give us a windfall of money <laughs> to get rid of all of our debt, right? I wanted one miraculous fish <laughs> to get rid of all of our debt. And um, the Lord did not do that. That's the spoiler for you. But um, that didn't happen. And the other thing I used to pray was that we would just get an envelope full of money in the mail, (laughs) right? God, you can do it. I knew God could do it. I knew he was the miracle worker. So I knew he could do these two things. But when we were in that debt, God never did those two things that I specifically prayed for. And at the time it was kind of like, that's a bummer because I know you can, you know, I'm out there on the pond trying to catch fish to get, check their mouths for money. But like, I know God can do that. I know he is the source, but he didn't do that in that time because it was more important for God to teach us how to be diligent with our money, how to be wise with our money, how to correctly take care of our money, how to curb our own impulses and desires and learn to have a budget and learn to be wise stewards. That was more important to God that we learned those lessons than for him to miraculously get us out of a mess that we had created ourselves. That was really important. But then years and years later, we both at the same time, we both ended up losing our jobs. And so we didn't know what we were going to do. We continued to tithe during all that time. We paid off all that debt. We continued to tithe past that. And so we came to a point where now as a fault, not our own, we no longer had income, right? But we still knew, no, God is our source. He is the one. And miraculously, that first month that we had without a job, God sent to us, first of all, the first thing, which was funny was, um, what's it called? Royalties for Jake's music. We had never ever in our life ever gotten royalties for Jake's music. And one month we got a check for like hundreds of dollars, nine, $930 royalty check. And that has never happened since. Okay. Well, we have like, we've gotten like 15 cents or $40 every once in a while. (laughs) $12 a year, but right? I mean, it was so random, but what was God doing? He was reminding me back to that time when we had prayed for that, but I didn't really need it then. I needed to learn some wisdom things then. But then when I actually needed it, God did that. He also, in that same month, we did get envelopes in the mail just full of cash. And that first month that we didn't have a job, after the end of the month, we paid every bill. We can't believe it. We just keep you know, coming across more money miraculously. And um, at the end of the month, we added up, it was exactly the amount of our salary that we had lost. And then the second month that we didn't have a job, we, um, the same thing, miraculously, money just came in and it wasn't our salary, but it was exactly the amount that we needed to pay every bill. So what I am saying is that when you tithe, when you're saying, God, you are my source, it's a faith move, yes. That means it takes faith, it is scary. If you haven't done it before, it is a scary thing to say, God, I'm going to trust you with this tithe. I'm going to trust you with this money. When really, I could see it going somewhere else. I could see another place I could send this money to, and I think it would be better. But I'm going to trust you with this money. You're not saying God's the slot machine, and you put in money, and he gives you a windfall. No, you're saying you're my source. I have my faith in you. And in those times that you need him to take care of you, he does. And that's what he has done in our lives time and time again. Man, bring it. That's good. I'm just going to ask you these questions. Okay, I'll answer some too. That's all right. I'll, read. I'll ask myself. Yeah. Tithing. We tithe a lot. This is a, this is a great question, and we're just going to uh, stick with answering this question on tithing here, kind of connect these, these two. 
Um, this question says, we tithe a lot to the people in our community. We donate for food boxes every year. We buy bikes for kids. We stuff backpacks for kids. I'm glad you didn't say you stuff kids in backpacks. That's, that would be negative. We stuff back, thanks for laughing. We stuff backpacks for kids. We also give $100 to $200 to church. That is really all we can afford to do. Is this enough? This is a great question because it gives us an opportunity to really look at what tithing is and what it isn't. So the, the person that asked this question, number one, this is a great heart of generosity. So well done, like to give to people that are in need. This is really, really good. But just to be clear on this, um, tithing, what tithing means is to take 10% of your income and to give that to your local church. The scripture says to bring your tithes into the storehouse. So this is how we look at it, is in our modern context, our local church is the storehouse. This is sort of the center of our spiritual and religious life. And I look at it like this, where my family is growing is where my family is sowing, okay? Where my family is growing is where my family is sowing. So if Joy Church here, Joy Church Eugene is your local church, this is your storehouse. That is where you would tithe, which means to bring 10% of your income. If you go to Faith Center, if you don't like Joy Church and you're going to leave and you're going to go somewhere else, then you and you had coffee with me, I would tell you, obey God and tithe to that church that you go to. If you go to New Hope, tithe to New Hope. If you go to fill in the blanks, if you move away and you go to another church, you're going to hear the same message from me because it's a biblical principle. You bring your tithe into the storehouse. So just so that we're clear, tithing is to take that first 10% and in honor and recognition of the, the supremacy of God in our life, we give that to the storehouse, our local church, in obedience to this biblical principle. And then what comes above and beyond the 10%, because the 10% is just really a foundation. So Bethany and I, we've tithed our, really our entire lives. I've tithed since I was like four or five years old um, with, without any loss or need or anything. God's provided for me and he's provided for us in our marriage. But then above the tithe, because our heart posture is that we want to see the kingdom of God prosper, we want to give. We also give to the poor. We give to different organizations. We give to Compassion International. We give to missions. You know, we just we we give above and beyond. And that's that's what we call uh, free will offerings, which takes place above the tithe. So the end of this question, I think, really expresses something that I want to deal with too. It says, "Is this enough?" And what I want to say is it's not a bad question. So if, you're, if you ask this question and we don't know who asked them, I'm not criticizing this at all. I just want you to know that. But this idea, like, is this enough, is reflecting the, uh, the wrong concept about how uh, finances in our relationship with God operate. See, it's not a legalistic thing like God's mad at you or whatever. It's that you have been, if you're a Christian, you've been brought into a new kingdom and it operates by different principles, and so as a Christian, it's not I have to tithe or I have to give or I have to do any of the things that we do as Christians. It's that I get to because I'm in a new kingdom. There's a king on the throne and he has laid out a particular way of looking at finances and a particular way of looking at life. And if I trust Jesus with my eternal soul, that when I die, I'm going to be with him forever and eternity. Why would I not trust him on this side of eternity with 10 cents out of a dollar? And when I think about it like that, I go, man, it's not really that big of a deal. But why is it a big deal? It's because God knows that our hearts are always looking for ways to sort of get safe, but not trust. You know, we want heaven, but we don't want obedience. We want the king, but we don't necessarily want the king's laws. And when you're in the kingdom of God, it's a, it's a different playbook, okay? It's a whole different uh, scenario. So I think hopefully that brings some clarity that this, this is what tithing is. Now, if you're at a place where you're like, I have more questions, I want to understand the word more about this. 
please come and talk to me after church and we'll tell you some resources at the end that you can also look into. But hopefully that brings some clarity on what tithing is and what tithing isn't. All right, so we're gonna go to some about, uh, there was a quite a few questions about just kind of dealt with communication, communicating with their, your spouse about money, that sort of thing. So this one says, what does it look like for a married couple to have a budget beyond just talking about what bills need to be paid? And um, so the idea of having a budget, we'll just really, really quickly talk about this, is not just you want to first look and see, hey, where do we spend our money? Yes, that's important. So you go back through and see, what do we spend our money on? Where does our money go to? But then it's really important to, when you make a budget, to say, what do we want to spend our money on? Right? Here are the things we need to spend our money on. Here are the things we are spending our money on. And then what do we want to spend our money on? When we were really serious about getting in out of debt, I said into debt, <laughs> serious about getting into it. We were serious about getting out of debt. We had a really strict budget so that we could use as much money as possible at the end of the month to, to get rid of that debt. So that meant we went through every category of life. What are we spending our money on? And then in the future, what would we like to spend our money on? So, and then we've done that as we have been out of debt. There have been, you know, we always kind of live on a budget, but we've gone through and we've looked at, okay, let's go back through. Let's look at our budget. A few years ago, we went back through and we were looking at ours and we said, we spend an in inordinate amount of money on coffee. Like, absurd. And so we said, like, this, this isn't right, right? This isn't good. This is an area that we aren't thinking about. And that's really what it comes down to, is just thinking about where, where your money is going. And so we were saying, do we really want to spend this much money on coffee? Probably not. And so what we did, really practically, we started to fill, we decided this is how much we will spend on coffee a month. We would fill a gift card to that coffee shop um, with that amount on it, and then once it ran out, the fun was over right? Until the next month. And then you really see how quickly that money runs out. And Dave Ramsey, he has his similar idea where you have envelopes full of cash. And um, once that cash is gone, it's gone. You've, you've used it all. And that's what you put your budget in. We don't do that because we would lose all the cash. Well, Jake, I think you would think I would lose it. But that's the idea of, of a budget is you're, is you're saying like, where is our money going? And then where do we want it to go? And now that we, we don't have debt, we still do this saying, what are our goals as a family? What are our goals that we want to do in a business? What are our goals we want to do for whatever it is? And then you say, how will we get there? And you think about where your money is going, how you're spending it and how you can get to where you want to go. Awesome. I would say just on this question and, and other ones when you talk about communication is that all, all financial uh, talks in a, in a marriage or uh, whatever, even in business partnerships, they need to start with the end in mind. So where are we trying to get in life? What is it that God's called us to do? What is our goal? And then now we're going to reverse engineer how we use our money to get there. So what happens in a lot of conversations about money, as we all know, that's a big place where relationships suffer, right? It's in conversations about money because to you, it makes perfect sense why you need, you have to invest in that vacation, you know? And then to your spouse, they're like, no, we need to invest in carpet or whatever. Yeah. And, and it makes perfect sense. And then there's a conflict. And so oftentimes you're dealing with the symptoms, but you need to take it more to the, to the source. You're dealing with the fruit. You need to go to the root and the root of finances and the, is, is, is your values and your vision for life. 
So for Bethany and I, conversations about money, we had to ask why. Why do we want to be out of debt? Why do we want to have X amount of savings? Where are we going in life? When those things are clear and there's agreement on vision, you can get agreement on how you spend your money. Because you go, hey, remember, we're trying to get here. And if we, if we you know, invest in Dutch Brothers before they've actually had a public offering of stock, because we're spending so much on coffee, we aren't going to get where we want to go. So hopefully that's helpful. One, another question that came up in this same kind of vein is uh, this one, which I think is really a great question. As a couple, and we're going to answer this from a perspective of a married couple, um, as a married couple, is a joint bank account better or should we have separate accounts? What are the pros and cons of each? Um, we would say a joint bank account is, this is our opinion, is the best way to go. And the reason is, is just because you're already sharing your life. If you're married, um, you've taken these vows that are saying for better, for worse, a lot of worse. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. For richer, for poorer, um, you know, till death do us part, for sicker, for healthy. I'm, I'm just brutalizing those vows. Sorry, everyone. But, um, and so you're, you're already joining your entire life. And it's also important to, to join your money as well. That would be our opinion. I think that it's going to um, really help you with a lot of conflict that could happen later on down the road. If you have, if you both work and you, so you both have money, it might be a lot easier to keep things separate, but there could be a lot of times if you have that sicker instead of healthier where one person can't work as much and now one person has all the money and the other person doesn't and you just end up having a lot more conflict um, if you don't just join everything all together. You can also really work together on your goals together, not as two separate people. We can both have different dreams. We can have even individual goals, but we most of our dreams and goals are together. And most of our dreams and goals that even our individual, we're cheering each other on. So we're still together. And so that's um, just another way to, to, to join your lives together and to avoid conflict later on. Really good. I think the goal in a marriage is that you would get away from competition and move into collaboration. And so this is by setting yourself up with two bank accounts, you're just immediately setting up competition. And did you keep your end of the bargain? Did you pay your half of this? Did you do that? Versus collaborative. Um, and so for us having our, and it also leads to accountability and transparency because financial infidelity is a real thing. There's marital infidelity where you cheat on your spouse. That's obviously a no, no, but like, there's also financial infidelity where a spouse finds out, Oh, you decided to put it all on black, you know, and our house is going back to the bank. You know, those are conversations that happen. And honestly, when, um, when we talk about transparency, it doesn't mean that you're suspicious of each other, but Bethany knows what I'm spending on. Uh, I know what she's spending on. And the nice thing is I'm the spender, she's the saver. So for her, it's like, did you spend $3 at JCPenney nine years ago? You know, that's about it. But there's transparency and accountability uh, in that relationship. Another um, question on, uh, on uh, moving in a different vein is about debt. So I think this is a great question. It says, in our society, debt seems inevitable. You can't buy a house without debt, uh, which, you know, is not technically correct because you can. You probably would need quite a lot, as we know, with that price of housing. So let's just, I'm going to let that one fly. You can't buy a house without debt. How do you practically balance debt against the word, uh, the scriptures, that seem to tell us to never be in debt? Okay, so this is a great question. I think it's important that we understand there are different, different levels and classifications of debt. So 
uh, consumer debt. Like Bethany and I, when we first got married, I think we had 30 to 40 grand as two 22 year olds who owned three cars. Uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. We put a honeymoon on credit. We did furniture on credit. We put coffee on credit. We put food on credit. That's called consumer debt. That is the kind of debt that makes you feel sick when you go out to eat. That's the kind of debt that the scripture is talking about, the borrower is slave to the lender. Um, it's, it's that sort of debt that has no asset attached to it, okay? Now, a second category of debt, which I would say sort of is in the middle, is what we would call uh, asset leverage debt. So for example, a home, uh, if you buy yourself a home uh, and there's, uh, there's an asset, there's collateral attached to that debt, it's not just a liability, okay? It's not just consumer debt with nothing to show for it. You have an asset that is there. And, and for a lot of us in the United States and what has historically been the American dream, most of our financial foundations were built on the acquisition of a home, right? And I was brought up this way. It was like, as soon as you can get your foot into the, into the real estate game, how many millennials in here are like, boomers, you know, could you lower the prices, please, right? Anybody else? Anyone? Okay, nobody's going to admit it. But all the boomers are like, I bought my house for $9. <laughs> oh. Suck it up, buttercup, you know? All of us millennials are like, I have to work for 900 years to be able to buy this postage stamp <laughs> under a bridge, you know? And it's a cardboard box. Okay, anyway, sorry, just a little bit of saltiness there. Um, I totally derailed this whole train, but asset leverage debt, you know, the buying a home and having it uh, collateralized with the, with the real estate, that's a different type of a category. And, and uh, it's not that all debt in all situations is, is immoral or wrong. And that's not what the scripture is teaching. It's talking about, are you living within your means? Are you uh, giving into your, your base impulses and never saying no to what you want at any, any given moment? So that sort of second tier of debt, I would say is a little bit different. Now, here's what I would say about that though, is you still gotta be careful because just because a nice person at the mortgage office tells you, hey, let's see how much home you can afford, that's not the same thing as living within your means. Does that make sense? Um, and I, I, this is what happened to me when I was 19 years old. Um, I had been encouraged to get into the real estate game and this was in 2005 or 2006 and that was the subprime mortgage crisis, right? Or that set, set the crisis up in 2008 and they were literally giving money to anybody that could fog a mirror. I actually think some people that were actually dead got loans, you know, it was like, We'll figure it out later. So I walk in as a 19 year old and, and I remember the guy, you know, saying, hey, let's see how much house you can afford. And I walked in with a thousand dollars and borrowed like almost two hundred thousand dollars. Now, luckily, uh, I stuck with it and, you know, it was good. I didn't default on it. But 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 that was sort of the situation. Now, when I look back, could I really afford what I was getting? No. The fact that somebody would allow me to get into that scenario wasn't the same thing as being able to afford it. So it wasn't really living within my means. So that's sort of that second tier and you got to give it with wisdom. A third tier of debt that I think we need to be aware of is that when you're talking about leverage and, and, I, and I want to be very careful with this, this is where you are trained in finances and you understand how to use leverage. Uh, for instance, real estate investors or somebody who's you know, investing in a cell phone um, company, you know, good investments. Uh, where, where debt can be used as a tool, and that's a different category, but I would say consumer debt and a little bit in that second category are what the scripture is kind of warning us away from. I think too, this, we talked about this a lot um, last week, 
where it was saying the borrower is slave to the lender, that's not saying um, the borrower is wrong and, and evil and in sin. It's just saying practically. So you know the borrower is slave to the lender. And that's an important Christian principle to understand that the Bible is saying. It's not saying you're wrong because you're borrowing. It's saying just know what you're doing. And a Christian principle we see throughout the Bible is that if you're going to borrow, you need to be um, willing to pay it back. Right. So, that, so that's that's the idea is if you're borrowing money, which is what we're doing when we're when we're paying something with a credit card, you're borrowing that money. You also need to be you're saying you're making a contract. I, I'm going to pay this back. And so it's thinking through your purchases and saying, can I actually pay this back? You know, I don't need to make a payment until twenty seventy five. But am I actually able to pay this back and am I going to pay it back? And that's really what the idea is. It's not saying that one is a sin or something like that. It's just saying, know, know what you're doing. Think about it before you do it. Sure, yeah, let's do, we'll do one more question and then share some, uh, some, some resources. Uh, I like this question a lot and I just, maybe we'll do like rapid fire on it. How important is a retirement and what should that look like? Okay, I'll answer. Um, I, I, don't, I don't actually believe uh, and this is an opinion. Um, for me, I don't, I don't really look at retirement as something that I'm aiming for because, and we're going to do a series on this hopefully in the fall, I see, I see work that is connected to your purpose, why you were born, why you're on planet Earth, why God put you here at this time in this season as part of joy and a part of, um, a part of how you make the world a better place. And so I think the idea of retirement historically was that you're in this job that you don't like and you're sort of toiling and then you put in your time and now you get to sail away into the sunset and live your life at leisure. And I would say that, yes, maybe you transition out of a particular vocation and so you've technically retired. Just like my dad, he just finished being uh, the lead pastor at Joy Medford, 40 years. So that was a good long run, you know, 40 years. And now he's not the senior pastor, um, it, but, but he's still at work serving God in the kingdom of God and not living a purposeless life and not living a self-centered life. So this is where I would say the American dream is that I can, I've put in my time for others and now I get to put my time in for me. And I don't want to do that. I just want to stay at the razor's edge of calling, purpose, investment, and dedication to the calling of God. Now you might be like, well, Pastor Jake, you're like uh, calcified. You can't be the lead pastor at Joy Church anymore. That's fine. Like you can transition uh, us out of a vocation, but I feel like as a, as a follower of Jesus, we're still on mission and purpose. So we don't retire in that sense. Now, when it comes to the, the ability to get yourself to a financial freedom date where you go, my, my passive income and my investments and my assets actually pay for my, my living. And now I get to just live my life as a mentor and for legacy and as a philanthropist, uh, that type of a thing. That's beautiful, but it's not retiring from purpose. It's just maybe transitioning out of a particular vocation. So that would be my thought about that. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a wisdom thing and, and an opinion thing that if you are able to save or invest for your retirement, then, you know, that's amazing. I, we, we've walked personally with people who um, are older and they have they have nothing. And that's a really, it's a scary place to be. And so whatever you can do, then, yeah, wisdom would say, do it right. <laughs> there's a there's a proverb, and I don't remember what it is, but it's like blessed is the man who leaves um, an inheritance for his children. 
So that's, and blessed are those children, right? For the, everybody who didn't get an inheritance from their parents, you're like, mm. no, just teasing. Yeah, I, I think, and I'm glad you brought that up. I wasn't saying not to save for a retirement. I do think that's really, really important. No, no, I think that's good. Because I, I forgot to say that. I just mean the concept of I'm retired, now I live for myself. But as far as saving for your retirement, yes, 100%. We are, I think we're putting like $9.14 a week into that tin can. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> the kids found it and spent it on Slurpees, yeah. Um, we're going to get ready to finish up here today. These are great questions. I just want to let you know I'm going to be available after service down in front uh, if you'd like to ha ask any more questions if anything comes up or, or you'd like uh, more clarification on anything because obviously we couldn't cover everything in this short time. Another thing I want to do is just give you some resources uh, for further study in, in tithing, debt, what it means to operate as a good steward, as a, as a kingdom first person. One of them is Dave Ramsey. He has his Financial Peace University, which is wonderful. It's, it's, it really helped Bethany and I. Also his book, The Total Money Makeover, is really, really good, uh, specifically on the areas of debt and getting out of debt and building new habits and disciplines when it comes to finances. It was transformational for us, highly recommend it. To me, the absolute best book, like the top of the mountain when it comes to Christian stewardship and finances and just a complete reframe in how we see our money as an act of worship and discipleship is this book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn, which I would say is not only one of the best books on money I've ever read, but it's one of the best books I've ever read. It's just incredible. And, and this one for me was transformational in my thinking. It helped really push me off of thinking of money, giving to God and tithing as something I had to do as really something I get to do, and then a delight and a joy to want to be able to give even more. Uh, a third one, The Blessed Life by Robert Morris is an incredible book. It's so faith-building because Pastor Robert has actually given away everything he has uh, several times. So when you talk about being a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver, just sort of out of control, life of generosity, and then seeing the supernatural provision of God and the supernatural blessing of God as it's connected to somebody who gets free and just kind of trusts God in this area, that's really faith-building and encouraging. And then last but not least, we put a position paper on tithing by Pastor Dave Robertson from uh, down in California. And this is a great sort of biblical treatment of the idea of tithing, why we see this as a biblical principle that isn't just locked into the Old Testament and sort of something that old school Christians do. And, you know, now we're, we have this smarter or, or new school kind of way of thinking. Actually, this is a biblical thing. It's, it's historical. It's rooted in the scriptures. It's really good. And you can read more about that at joyeugene.com give. There's a tithing position paper there by Dave Patterson. It's really uh, an awesome resource. So those are the resources we have. Again, I'll be down front if you have any more questions. Awesome. Well, um, you know, at the very beginning, I was talking about how we have to believe that God is our source for everything. And that really starts in our life with really even becoming a Christian. The people in this room who are saying we're Christians, what we're saying is that we are following after Jesus. We are following after Christ. That's what that word really means. What that means is that we're people who we don't believe we were made on accident. We don't believe this world is just here on accident, but we believe there is a God. There is a creator of the universe that not only created the world and the heavens and the earth and the stars, but he also created every single one of us individually, that he made you, that he knows you. And we believe that sin, which just means darkness, that uh, evil, wrong things, that that is in this world that has set 
separated us from the Lord, that he created you for relationship with him, and that when we've done wrong, which we've all done in our lives, that has separated us from that right relationship that he created us for. But that's why we have Jesus. That's why Jesus came. He came to make it right. He lived a perfect life. It says that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted, but he never sinned. He never did wrong. And then he died on the cross. He was um, punished unjustly. And then he, uh, he, what it says is that in the Bible that he took on all the punishment for all of our sins. So all the wrong that we have done, Jesus took that on. He took on that punishment for us. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He actually came back to life after three days. And that's what we, every person in this room that's a Christ follower, we're saying there is a God. I'm not him. And he deserves my fidelity. He deserves my allegiance. I was made to live for something more. I was made to live for more than just following my own way. I recognize there is a higher way. It's Jesus, and I follow after him. And right now, if everyone in the room, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes, if you're here in this place and you don't know Jesus, he wants to know you. He wants to know you. And so I just encourage you, if you don't know him, would you just lift up your hand? We want to pray with you and we want to pray for you. Thank you. If you're saying, I want to know him, I want to be in a relationship with him, we're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. If you just lift up your hand so that we know that it's you that you're, you're asking to know him. Thank you. Anyone else in this room? What we're going to do is we're going to say a prayer, but it's not, um, you know, magic words. What we're saying is you're just verbalizing a way that you're saying, God, I'm putting my faith in you. I recognize there's a different way I need to live my life, and I'm going to follow after you. So if you would right now, just pray this prayer with me. Everyone in the room is going to pray it so you won't be um, feeling singled out or anything like that. All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for making me. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for knowing me. God, thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying for me. God, I've done wrong. I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. God, would you forgive me? Would you show me how to live the right way? God, I give you my faith. I give you my allegiance. I put my faith in you. I give you my life. Will you help me live like you? In Jesus' name, amen.